Thank you for tuning in to the 153rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for listening, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, being recorded from Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. We're going to have a very good show. It's going to be a little, uh, a little shorter podcast than usual, but we're going to have Kenny Sim on going to break down the first couple rounds of the NFL draft so far. We had the first round on Thursday, and we had the second and third round Friday, now Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, and then we'll get on to the rest of the rounds uh, tonight. So here's where I want to start. We're going to have Kenny Kenny on very shortly, but here's what I do want to say. Number one thing about the draft, it's hope. Hope for your team that you're going to get that player to take you over the edge, right? And it's really interesting. Well, a lot of times when I'm watching the drafts, I'm thinking, like, which team is going to surprise me the most? Like, which team made the move? I thought the Arizona Cardinals getting Kyler Murray was a very good move. And it almost made me think, right? Isaiah Simmons is a freaking nature. You got Larry Fitzgerald. You got DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray with Kling. Cliff Kingsbury in that offense. They're going to be able to put up some points. And I was like, could Arizona compete for the division? And then I thought, uh, to mention Miami, I thought Miami made a couple of really good moves. And I'm going to say, folks, watch out for Miami in a couple of years. They will be very good. I also like the Dallas Cowboys getting CeeDee Lamb. I think that's going to be great to have him and Amari Cooper on the outside. And I thought... The uh, Packers drafting Jordan Love was very interesting, right? Uh, it, it's really funny. Clay Travis, who hosts Outkick the Show, he made a very interesting point. It, he said, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't even talk to his brothers because they pissed him off. What do you think he's going to do with some rookie quarterback that's trying to take his job? <laughs> How's that going to go? We know how it went with when it was him and Brett Favre, right? So how's all that going to turn out? But the one thing I did think about, the Buffalo Bills, and it's really interesting because they did not have a first-round pick, but, and, and I kid you not, I was sitting upstairs in my living room, and I was thinking, and this was right after A.J. Terrell, cornerback out of Clemson, was drafted, and I was like, oh, dang, the Bills could have used him. And, and then I was thinking to myself, and I was like, it feels like such a long time, but I was like, the Bills, they don't have any super, super pressing needs. Like, there's nothing that's, I mean, you think, like, there's a big hole at this spot. Every position is solid, and it's really league average for the most part. There's no weak links. And in my thought, I'm, I'm not going to lie, a thought came to myself, and I was like, dang, we're going to need a lot of pass rushers and a lot of co- and a lot of corners when we play Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. I kid you not, that is what I thought. That is what I thought. I do not know if that's going to happen. I don't know if I'll even predict that to happen because I don't think I have the courage of my convictions to quite go that far. But that's what I was really thinking. That was my biggest takeaway from the draft. And I was kind of sitting there and I was like, the Bills are really damn good. And they're going to be very good. So that was my biggest takeaway. 
Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Simon, scouting expert for 247 Sports. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk. I had to break up the O this time. We got Kenny Sim on. NFL Draft, a, a little mini recap. I, I know, Kenny, you must be really excited. The draft is your thing. Uh, so I, I guess where I want to start with you is this. My first takeaway is we've all mentioned, everybody has mentioned how deep this class was at the wide receiver position. You have Jerry Judy, you have Henry Ruggs, you have CeeDee Lamb, you have T. Higgins. Multiple very good wideouts. And none of them, uh, to my count, none of them were drafted in the top 12. It wasn't until pick 12 when one was drafted and it was Henry Ruggs to the Raiders. How surprised were you that no receiver went in the top 10? on that um, unless a team was going to try to trade up for that first one but really um, I think the wide receivers are really going to start coming off with like the Raiders and the Jets potentially the 49ers and the, and the Broncos um, and, and and like we talked about this class is very good and I'll challenge that wide receiver but there is no uh, guys in the top 11 and then um, really like the strength of the wide receiver class is like they were all going to start coming off the board you know, pick 15 and on, like that middle of the first round, just start coming down in bunches. Almost every other pick was a wide receiver. Um, I think there are six, seven, seven wide receivers taken in round one. One, two, three, four, five. Six of them, six of them. So it was the six ones that I had a first-round grade on, except for T. Higgins, who went at pick 33. Um, but overall, a little surprised with the order and the team selection of them, though. Um, but, uh, like, at a high level, I, uh, you know, when Henry Ruggs went off the board to 11 um, or, or at 12 to, to the Raiders, that just made so much sense for the Raiders. Gruden gets a guy similar to Tyreek Hill in his division. Um, and then we talked about how, you know, if you lined up these wide receivers, you know, you could rate them on who, who strikes the most fear in the defensive coordinator. I think that's... Uh, Henry Ruggs at least strikes the most fear, and you know that was really going to open up the passing game um, with the Raiders. So I'm looking forward to see how Ruggs does with the Raiders. Now, how surprised were you? And it's really this: coming into this college football year, everybody talked about Jerry Judy. I heard some people, Kenny, say that Jerry Judy could be the number one player on the board. Like, like there was a lot of Jerry Judy hype coming out. People then start talking about CeeDee Lamb, like it's Jerry, Judy, it's CeeDee Lamb. They're in a class on their own. And then Henry Ruggs, kind of the gadget wide receiver, is drafted ahead of them. How surprising was that for you? Yeah, looking back on it, it I mean, it was surprising. Um, I had him start on my board, Ruggs. 
Um, I did like Jerry Judy a lot. Jerry Judy goes into a really good situation though with Denver. They're really building a nice skill core. Um, but I was, you know, like coming into the year though, um, Ruggs was, you know, maybe thought about as like a one trick pony. Um, but it was just like explosiveness. So, so he had almost a quarter of his catches were for touchdowns. He, he had, he had 24 touchdowns in his career on 98 catches. Um, so that was surprising that, you know, we talked about Lamb and Judy, Judy and Lamb. Um, and then all of a sudden, Ruggs is actually the first one off the board to the Raiders. Now, next for me is is this. The one thing that I... and it, Well, let's just start with the top ten. Obviously, we knew Burrow, Young, you know, Akuda. Like, like that went the top three. And really, that was the consensus for the whole time. But... A guy who, and we've talked about this, and you know how much I love Isaiah Simmons. I told you I did a podcast on why I take Isaiah Simmons over Chase Young. But my love affair with Isaiah Simmons is real. He drops all the way to number seven. And the Arizona Cardinals scoop him up. And I was just talking about this a little bit earlier in the pod, Kenny. And I was like, Arizona is building something scary. And if it's not for the fact that they play in the toughest division in football, the AFC West, I mean, the NFC West, I I dare say I might pick them to be in the playoffs. Like, how much of an impact do you think having Isaiah Simmons on that defense is going to make? I think it make a huge impact. Um, they they uh, Hopefully they use him better. Um, it's a different uh, Vance Joseph defensive coordinator now. They, they had a guy kind of similar to Isaiah Simmons two years ago in the very athletic Hassan Reddick, linebacker at a temple. Um, so hopefully they, they have a plan for Isaiah Simmons. And that was the thing with Isaiah Simmons coming into the draft was the team that drafted him, you have to have a plan for him on day one. So you don't just draft him and kind of say, you know, we're going to figure it out. There, there has to be a well-defined concrete plan that you have for Isaiah Simmons in order to utilize him the best. Um, he'd be best. I think he'd be best as a safety, uh, personally. Have him as like a... Like a like a seventh defender, overhang guy in the box, come down, uh, play some stuff package linebacker too. But that's that's a that's a division where he's going to be, you know, with him and Chandler Jones. But but Isaiah Simmons, you know, you could start having you know different different fronts and slants, and you could you know have it one way and then funnel everything towards Isaiah Simmons. But he's going to have to you know probably uh, match. Very true. Now, also what I do want to ask you, right? So, 
There was a lot of talk, Tua and Herbert, who was the second QB on the board? And we talked about this at length. You know, maybe possibly there's a scenario where the Dolphins get Herbert. It was talked about how, you know, they were sold on Herbert. Maybe that could be the pick. And it turns out that was a smokescreen. They had Tua all along and they drafted Tua Tagovailoa. How surprised were you that that pick happened? Yeah, so every year, you know, I keep saying, like, I'm not going to get lied to, and then all of a sudden, like, I get lied to every time by, by the report. Um, I had the final, on uh, my final mock, though, that I had, I, I did have Tua to the, um, to, to the Dolphins. He went there, um, you know, right at the end, you know, it came out that his medical, that, that Miami was happy with his medical, but, you know, you hear that they were going to move from five to three and take a tackle, um, and they were going to, you know, keep picks three and five and trade 18 and 26 and stuff like that, or try to go up to three and see if they can make a godfather offer. There's the Bengals with three and one and swap that. But ultimately, though, I think this is always the pick for, for the Dolphins. They spent a lot of time on him. So they had the general manager and the president, the owner, Stephen Ross. You know, they went to their bowl, uh, to, to Alabama's bowl game against Michigan. Tua wasn't even playing just to see him on the sideline and how he interacts. And they spent a ton of time on him. Um, so there was, you know, like one side of the building kind of like Tua, the other side maybe like Herbert a little bit more. Um, I know the owner likes Tua, so, you know, usually when you have that decision with ownership and coach, you know, usually we know how that, or we usually know who wins that. It's going to be the owner at the end of the day writing the check. Um, so that's going to be one. And, and, and Tua goes into a situation where they have, you know, they had three first-round picks. They had uh, two twos. They got a lot of picks next year. So ultimately, though, um, the success of their draft, though, is going to come down to how good Tua is. Tua is all together. You know, they're building a really good really good team in about two or three years, right when the Patriots begin to fall off a little bit and they have all these picks coming into the realm. Um, but if they, you know, if he gets injured or he's not, you know, as good as a lot of people think, um, it's going to be you know, spending a high pick on a quarterback, it's going to be probably an average draft at best when you look on it in a few years. Now, see, and this is one of the most interesting picks to me, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we, we mentioned in our fake mock draft, we had Winfield, the safety out of Minnesota, uh, go to the Cowboys, and I was like, it's typical Jerry to go with the flash move and be like, his dad was a multiple Pro Bowl cornerback. How about he'll be a multiple Pro Bowl safety? It's so Jerry. But you know what's also Jerry? Being like, hey, C.D. Lambs from Oklahoma, kind of close to Dallas. He put up a lot of points. Lincoln Riley, how about we have him go to Dallas? You know, we have corner secondary issues. Well, let's just take him to Dallas. Let's go double receivers with him and Amari Cooper. How did you like that move? Yeah, so I was really surprised that, uh, one, he ended up being the third wide receiver on the board uh, to go off. He, he was the odds-on favorite to go number uh, to, to be the first receiver off the board. Um, and I think a lot of teams made some mistakes. So, so the Eagles like them. The Eagles never made a move to, move to trade up. Uh, San Francisco, you know, they, they wanted a strength and a strength with their defense, um, and, they, and they passed on him as well. So ultimately, he falls down to the 17th line for the Cowboys, and he falls into a really good situation. So you have Amari Cooper, um, probably better as a Z, and then you have C.D. Lamb, 6'2", 208, guy that just stretched the field down 
on the field, those 50-50 balls, he could be the X. So now you have those two guys with Zeke Elliott, and you got um, uh, Michael Gallup as well. So, you know, we talk about fit all the time with these receivers, especially with these receivers. You know, you got to have a quarterback that can get the guy the ball, or that first-round pick is going to be a bust at receiver. So they have all of that. So D.D. Lamb really falls into a perfect spot. And, and you take a look at head coach Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy coming from Green Bay. Green Bay takes a lot of big wide receivers over the years, like uh, Donald Driver, um, uh, Greg Jennings, Devontae Adams, stuff like that. So he's going to know how to use them, uh, utilize them properly. He could put them in the big slot, run some fades there. So um, what surprise that he went you know, all the way down at 17, but he falls into a really good situation. And that's one of the reasons why I think uh, – you know, one of the teams on day one of the draft that I liked was what the Cowboys did because of C.D. Lamb. Now, here's my next question for you. And this happens towards the end of the first round. And we talked about this last podcast, and we mentioned them. We talked about a lot of trade rumors. I mean, a lot of draft rumors. A lot of it had to do with quarterbacks from, you know, the Colts, the Steelers, the Patriots. And the one team, and I believe we were talking about this, Kenny, and you said you did not think the Packers would take a high commodity pick on a quarterback. And uh, that did not end up happening, and they did take a Jordan Love. And it was really interesting because we know Aaron Rodgers can be a little bit prickly, personally. He's not known as, you know, the guy that he's going to take the young guy over his shoulder and help. He's the guy that he's like, F that, I want to win now. So what do you make of the move for Jordan Love, and how do you think that's going to work in Green Bay? Jordan Love going to Green Bay is going to be one that, um, if you wanted to get the best analysis of it, you're going to have to wait on this for about five years. So there's kind of two two sides of this, and the Packers chose to go with the long-term play here. So the short-term thing is uh, what I thought they should have done is, you know, being 13-3 and in the two seed is trying to get, you know, another safety, um, maybe, you know, fortify that defensive front that got burnt for over 300 yards to San Francisco in the NFC title game, get Aaron Rodgers another receiver to go opposite of uh, Devontae Adams. So, you know, using that, and then that and, 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 and that could go into play uh, to help the Packers right now in their Super Bowl window. But now when you trade up, actually, so you actually give away another pick trade up for Jordan Love, you know, I think this to potentially close Aaron Rodgers' Super Bowl window with the Packers. And the teams that like this are the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the Seattle Seahawks, the 49ers, the Saints, because you know the Packers aren't going to be doing anything to get better now. So when you're in the NFC Championship again in the playoffs, you say, who's you going to spend the number one pick on? And, and you know, it's the guy holding the clipboard with the baseball cap on. <laughs> now, on the other end, now, on the other end, is the long-term play that, that the Packers did. So after two years, um, Aaron Rodgers has a cap of $2 million. So they're on the hook for two years. They can't really make any any move with Aaron Rodgers, uh, potentially an out after two years. Um, so, so what they could do here is you could have Rodgers play for two years and then, you know, whatever you want to do with him um, is a small cap number, five financially and then have Jordan Love come over for year three with that fifth-year option, get a look at him for three years. 
And and it, it, it's really interesting because the Packers had Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. They had no, I mean, there's generations of fans that don't know what quarterback instability is in Green Bay. So if they hit on this, though, they can make the transition from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Jordan Love needing a little bit more time. Jordan Love also good out of structure, big arm talent, um, you know, good uh good athlete on the run, all those things Aaron Rodgers had when he was taken for Brett Favre. So it's going to be interesting if they could go three for three and keep that just that stability of quarterback play up in Green Bay. How do you think Aaron Rodgers feels about this move? Because there's been a lot of talk about this, and it's so funny. I said this earlier in the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you know him, but Clay Travis, he does host Outkick the Show. He's like, Aaron Rodgers cut off his brother's fairly easily, like family members fairly easily. He's known as kind of an aloof guy. You think he's going to have a lot of patience for Jordan Love, some guy from Utah? I mean, I think he's going to have probably less patience for the Packers, uh, the Packers front office and coaching staff. He probably feels a little bit, a little bit slighted that, you know, they, they haven't taken a skill guy in the first round in several years. And they ended up not only taking, um, uh, they didn't take a, a skill guy. They take a guy that's going to, you know, potentially replace you. So, so I think he's going to feel probably slighted with the front office and the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a dynamic to track and see how he does with that. Uh, because they still, you know, they still have a limited window in play. And I'm not sure, you know, only being the one Super Bowl, I'm not sure if, um, if that window maybe has completely closed now. I, I, I think there's a chance it could have been 36 years old um, and, and, and still needing, you know, you know, the older you get, he hasn't been over seven and a half yards per attempt since 2014. You know, you're going to have to have enhanced weapons, kind of like what the Saints have done with Drew Brees over the last few years, not doing that in Green Bay. So, you know, I think it's going to feel probably slighted that way and a little bit disappointed. Now... How does when a lot of people have talked about Jordan Love, and I just want your opinion on this, they're saying potentially he's Patrick Mahomes, he's that raw, athletic guy with the arm talent. How much truth do you think that is that he could be a mini Mahomes? Yeah, I really don't like comparing you know guys to potentially Hall Hall of Famers based on a couple of stats. Like whenever you have like a short quarterback, you compare him to Drew Brees, one of the, one of the best ever play. Um, so he's gonna. He, he, he needs to get a little bit more accurate. You know, it remains to be seen if he's just inherently um, an inaccurate quarterback uh, with Jordan Love. But there's, there's, there's things that can work in that in that Matt LaFleur, you know, that outside zone system that he kind of picked up from Kyle Shanahan is getting, you know, bootlegs on the run, getting the running game, you know, sideline to sideline in space, wearing down the defense, um, and trying to crook create holes and seams, you know, with that play action for tight ends and wide receivers across the middle, stuff like that. Um, so with with that, I actually think, you know, when, when you look back at a few years, I think Jordan Love is in, is in the best situation of the quarterbacks that went in round one, being with, you know, a probably, you know, a pretty stable franchise, you know, an offensive-centric coaching staff and franchise. Um, he's in a good spot there to succeed, but I don't like comparing him to, you know, Patrick Mahomes being, you know, one of the 
one of the great young QBs under 25. I don't think he, you know, you would really pound on the table and say, you know, in a few years, Jordan Love is going to be exactly that, too. Um, I know a lot of people didn't think that with Texas Mahomes, but that's more of an outlier than the norm. But I do like the, I do like the fit in the situation that he falls into. Now another quarterback that was taken, and I have to tell you this, and we've talked about this too, Jalen Hurts, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. What do you think that Dougie P, Doug Peterson has in store for Jalen Hurts? Do you think he's going to be a traditional backup, or do you think they're going to taste some hell this thing? Because I really think that would be the smart play to use Jalen Hurts. I think there's a lot of ways you can use him on your football team. What do you think the Eagles are going to plan to do with him? Yeah, I would see him starting off coming down with a with with, with a package of plays, kind of like a like a taste on hill, um, you know, QB power and short yardage situation. You know, interesting to see how creative Doug Peterson is that he could have Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, you know, in the backfield together, um, and kind of have that sort of wrinkle. But Doug Peterson, you know, using a lot of those a lot of those RPOs, those spread concepts that Lincoln Riley likes to do. At, at, at Oklahoma. So, you know, and Doug Peters is one of the best play callers in the game. So, you know, I think Jalen Hurts could have a lot of success there. And, and Carson Wentz has been, you know, he's been injured every year uh, since he started playing football in high school. So, you know, with Jalen Hurts, you know, if you run some RPOs, get the quarterback on the run, stuff like that, I think Jalen Hurts could come in and be a spot starter and, and, and win a lot of games and, and hold the fourth down until Carson Wentz comes back uh, with an injury in the future. But I think he's going to kind of start off in that chase and him will kind of have, you know, you know, 10 plays a game, increase that as the season goes on and expand that package. But really good prospect, though, and, and way better passer than Taysom Hill. So you always have that impact of, you know, that, that threat of the passing game way more than Taysom Hill has. Now, what's your biggest takeaway from the draft? So the biggest takeaway from the draft, um, one is I like what the, uh, I like what the Baltimore Ravens did. So the Baltimore Ravens, they, they had a need at linebacker. They get Patrick Queen to come in, go sideline to sideline classic Baltimore Raven pick uh, plays just like that. And then they come back with five picks on day two. They get J.K. Dobbins now in the backfield with Lamar Jackson. That's going to be a problem for teams. They get Justin Matabuke, who I have the uh, big third or fourth defensive tackle to fortify that front. That's already really good. Get Malik Harrison out of Ohio State. So they're really doing, you know, a hitting this thing out of the park. And they already had a strong roster, and now it's just, you know, it's just stronger right now. I mean, they're going to have, you know, one of the best rosters in the game. Uh, and then the other takeaway I had was um, what the Cincinnati Bengals have done with getting T. Higgins with Joe Burrow. So so now Joe Burrow comes into a good position with skill guy. So he has Joe, Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Justin Roth, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, all of them have different skill sets, and it's a really nice wide receiver core. You know, they could do a lot of three receiver sets. Uh, Zach Taylor coming from what Sean McVay did, so that's a nice group. Uh, going to have to fortify that offensive line, but it, 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 it's not the worst spot to come into. 
And so, so those are the teams that you think did the most beneficial for their team, right? Your biggest winners. Yeah, the biggest winners were the um, the Baltimore Ravens. I like what they did. Bengals, <clears throat> and then the Minnesota Vikings. So the Minnesota Vikings get Jordan Jefferson to replace Stephon Diggs. So Jordan Jefferson or Justin Jefferson um, could be just as productive, you know, in that offense opposite at Adam Thielen as Stephon Diggs or close to it, and it's a way it's a more uh, cost-effective contract to keep that offense humming. Then they come back with Jeff Gladney, really good slot corner, you know, uh, play the slot, to play outside, blitz in the slot, feisty corner. They had a need at corner. Then they get Jeff Gladney as well, and then they get a potential long-term replacement in Ezra Cleveland, the left tackle, uh, to be on that offensive line. Really good fit there, classic outside zone fit, which Ezra Cleveland would be good in. So they they find the ability to one get talent, and then two get talent at those positions of need really matched up well with the Vikings. Um, and they and, and then by doing that too, they also closed holes that they had on their roster. So I like what the Vikings did as well. And since we have to do this too. I know people can't necessarily do this on TV because it's the biggest day of kids' life, and right? So you don't want to be too critical. But who are your biggest losers? Who 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 made the mistakes, Kenny? Yeah, the one. So so one team. Um, one team that really stuck out is the Seattle Seahawks, and and it's really curious because you know for you know for being you know a model franchise and having the second most wins in the decade with the New England Patriots. They miss on a lot of first-round picks, man. I mean, they're taking, you know, like a third-round guy two years ago, uh, a, a, like a day three running back, you know, Rashard Penny of San Diego State can't catch the ball either out of the backfield. Um, then they trade out a lot. And, and, and so what what they do here is you get um, Jordan Brooks at pick 27, and Jordan Brooks at a Texas Tech. I mean, I had him down at like a third-round grade, um, you know, fast linebacker and all, but you already have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright at linebacker. Bobby Wagner's going to play for a while. You have KJ Wright still, one one of the best guys that just dropping into zone covers in the NFL. So when he has a one year look on his contract this year, are you just 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 gonna let that guy walk and go with a sub par player in Jordan Brooks? And about how much time you know teams are trying to spread out the Seahawks, only two linebackers on the field. You got Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. So, so how are you going to put Jordan Brooks on the field? You know, it's not like uh, I mean, like are we going to groom this guy for three years, like like what we do with a quarterback? And then um, then we come back with Damian Lewis, a guard um, from LSU. I had a fourth on him. Didn't see him going in the third round. And then they kind of overreach for. Uh, Daryl Taylor, um, not much motor and juice as a pass rusher, and they get him in round two with other guys on the board a little bit more explosive off the edge. So, you know, they didn't try to trade down either and collect more picks. So I was a little perplexed at what Seattle did, especially getting like a round three linebacker in the first round. And it's going to be hard to find a way to get that guy on the field with the roster. Kenny, 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the pod, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we, you know, we'll finish up, finish up day day three tomorrow, and then you know, then we could kind of just close in and you know process this whole thing, all two hundred and fifty six picks, and then see you know what teams really stack their needs and did a good job in collecting talent, finding for need, and kind of see how that does. Uh, it's the lifeblood of the team, so finish up tomorrow and kind of see what happens then. So thanks for having me again. No problem. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the podcast. Always appreciate having his insight. And once again, everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode, the 153rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Johnny Manziel, five years later, how am I the man still? Draft day.